0: Well good morning everyone. Happy Sabbath to you and to all the moms. Happy Mother's Day weekend. My name is David Jameson and my wife Chandra and I are so delighted to be here with you today at the Linwood Seventh Day Adventist Church. We want to thank Pastor Velody and the staff here for inviting us to come today. Harold, you mentioned that you know me a little bit from Church in the Valley. Yes, I had the privilege of pastoring a church in Langley for the last 20 years as lead pastor. But I'm originally from St. John's, Newfoundland, the most easterly point in all of North America. Do you know where that is? Raise your hands if you have an idea where that is. I know sometimes when I ask, some hands go up, but for those of you who may not know exactly where that is, uh, in the year 1912, the Titanic hit an iceberg 150 miles off the coast of Newfoundland. And if that doesn't ring home because you weren't born then, uh, during the September 11 terrorist attacks, that took place in 2001, many, many U.S. airliners landed in Gander, Newfoundland for safety. And so maybe that'll give you a little bit of an idea where we are from. Today I'd like to share a message with you entitled, How to Withstand the Storms of Life. And this message is all about Jesus. Wherever I've been going in the Upper Columbia Conference so far, a different church almost each and every Sabbath, we've been uplifting Jesus as high as we possibly can. And so I want to issue you a challenge this morning. Whether you're young or young at heart, I challenge you to write down the number of times that we say the name Jesus in this sermon from this moment on. And come tell me afterwards how many times you heard the name Jesus. Well, we'd like to begin by asking you a question. And the remote is not working, so we'll just go without. How's that? Have you ever experienced a major storm in your life? Has your life ever gone from calm To chaos in a single moment or a single day. If you're human, that's happened, right? If you have lived for any period of time at all, you've experienced storms in your life, haven't you? I know I have. I know I've had several storms over my lifetime in which life has gone from calm to chaos in a single moment. All it takes is a telephone call. All it takes is something that a doctor shares at a doctor's office, and I've experienced both. But if you can relate to experiencing storms in your life, maybe you can relate to Chippy the parakeet. And there's a picture in the very next slide, here you go. It's one of my favorite all-time stories. Chippy never saw it coming. He was just sitting sitting there peacefully perched in his cage, enjoying the day, singing. But all of a sudden, his owner got a brilliant idea. His owner decided that she was going to clean his cage. So she went to the closet and pulled out the vacuum cleaner. She plugged in the vacuum cleaner and, here you go, plugged in the vacuum cleaner, proceeded to come over to the cage, opened the cage door, turned the vacuum cleaner on, put the hose in through the cage door, and all of a sudden, her cell phone rang. She turned her head to get the cell phone, and then she heard, oh, no, she looked in the cage, and Chippy was gone. Now, she did exactly what you and I would do. She quickly ran over, turned off the vacuum cleaner, took the lid off the vacuum, and she put her hands inside the dirty vacuum cleaner bag. Have you ever done that? You know exactly how dirty and dusty and grimy and any other word you can think of. And she got her fingers in there and she pulled Chippy out and he was still alive. But now she had another brilliant idea. She ran with Chippy down the hall to the washroom, held him in her left hand, turned on the water with her right hand, not thinking that it's freezing cold water, puts Chippy under the water, and now you begin to see what he looked like there under the water when she was done washing all the dust and grime and everything off of Chippy. She began to realize he was freezing cold and now shivering. She had another idea. She held him in her left hand. She reached down and she pulled open a drawer there in the washroom vanity. She pulled out a hairdryer, plugged it in with her right hand, turned it on and started blowing Chippy dry, not realizing it was on high and it was on hot. Chippy was having an awful day. He'd been washed up. He'd been... Socked up, he'd been blown over dry. It's a true story, by the way. And so a few days later, a reporter called and asked a lady, his owner, how's Chippy doing? And she said, well, I'm not too sure. He doesn't sing very much anymore. He just sits there and stares all the time. But do you know something? If you've had that kind of experience in your life, then you'll recognize that when you go through challenging, difficult times in your life's journey, that even the stoutest and strongest and most courageous hearts, sometimes life can knock you down and take the song out of your heart. And I believe a lot of people have been experiencing that today. The truth is that we're all collectively facing an incredible storm in our world right now. For the last number of years, we've been going through the pandemic. And as I was pastoring a church and as I've been preaching around from place to place, I say to folks, I don't like to say the C word, the name of the pandemic. I don't like to say the M word I don't like to say the V word because whenever we get focused on any of those words, it seems to cause division in the church and in the community. And so I tell folk, people don't focus on the C word, don't focus on the M word, don't focus on the V word, focus on the J word. Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full. In his wonderful face and the things of earth will what? Grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As we think about what's happening in the Ukraine. And I know here in this congregation. Pastor Velody and many of you have been watching every single day. What's happening there as the war is in day 72 or 73 now. We see the unbelievable Uh, carnage and destruction and everything that's happening, we wonder why? Why is all this, how is it happening? And what can we do to help? There are many people in our world right now who are facing incredible storms in their lives. And as a result, many people are facing incredible personal storms in their lives too today. And maybe there's someone here this morning who's experiencing a storm in your life and no one knows anything about it except you and God. But I'd like to share with you this morning that Jesus knew a thing or two about storms. And in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verses 13 and 14, we have this incredible story. And it's an important story in Scripture because it's found in all four Gospels. It's the only miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels in full detail. Here's what it says. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 13, if you'd like to follow along. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place hearing of this the crowd followed him on foot from the towns and when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them and he healed their sick if you know this story at all Jesus was ministering to a large crowd of people one day by the Sea of Galilee He was teaching, he was preaching, he was healing people. He came into this world to make a difference in the lives of every one of his children who has ever been born or will ever been born on planet earth. And so he was preaching quite a while to the people and all of a sudden someone came up to him and shared some terrible news with him. Someone came up to him and said, Jesus, your cousin John the Baptist has just come to an untimely death at the hands of Herod and it says when Jesus heard what had happened he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place and so if you can picture this Jesus and the disciples got into the boat and they sailed across the sea of Galilee about six or eight miles across but it says hearing of this the crowds followed on foot from the town And if you can picture this, Jesus and the disciples are sailing across, but the crowds walk the six to eight mile trek, and they get to the other side so that when Jesus lands at the other side, he sees this same group and crowd of people again. And it says, when Jesus landed and he saw this large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed them. They're sick. I want to share with you this morning that Jesus is always moved with compassion toward people. Can you say amen to that this morning? He's always, always moved with compassion toward people. Lost men and women and boys and girls matter to God. How do I know that? Luke 19 and verse 10 says, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if lost men and women and boys and girls matter to God, then they need to matter to every single one of us here in the Linwood Church and throughout the entire Upper Columbia Conference and beyond. God is called calling us to reach out to lost men and women and boys and girls with the compassion of Jesus Christ. How is that? The word compassion is used 82 times in the scriptures. It's used seven times in the Gospels, and all seven times in the Gospels, it's essentially a descriptive word of Jesus. Jesus is always moved with compassion toward people. The Greek word is so intense that it says he was moved to the core of his being. It was his priority. People are the most precious possession of God on planet Earth. He was moved to the core of his being. He was moved in the depths of his stomach. He wanted to do something. He was compelled to bring help, healing, and eternal happiness to every single person that he met. That's how Jesus looks at you and me. You are a child of God. And do you know something? I like to say it this way. Jesus loves the prostitute on the street just as much as he loves the parishioner in the pew or the pastor in the pulpit. Do you believe that today? Do you understand what we're saying by that? That whether someone is here right now in this building on Sabbath morning or whether they're driving down the road or walking by with burdens unlimited, God loves every single one of us exactly the same. We're blessed because God found us when we were lost, brought us into the fold. And he shares so much wonderful information with us through scripture that blesses our lives. But we're blessed to be a blessing. Jesus is always moved with compassion toward people. The story continues in the next verse, verse 15. It says, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, you might read this and skip right over it and not get all of the significance. There was an incredible crowd of people there that day. Scholars tell us that the population of the Sea of Galilee region 2,000 years ago during the time of Christ was approximately 25,000 people around the Sea of Galilee. We're going to read a little bit further into this passage, and it says that Jesus fed the people. And it says there were 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So you do the math. There could have been 15,000 people there that day on that mountainside. And they were all there because they wanted to be near Jesus. They were attracted to Jesus. This is why our churches need to uplift Jesus. Because the Gospel of John chapter 12 says, Only the words of Jesus, 'If If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Do you want to be in the presence of Jesus? Has Jesus made a difference in your life? In my own experience, at the age of 18 years of age, I fell in love with Jesus. Went to an evangelistic series at the St. John Seventh day Adventist Church, learned so much about Bible prophecy. In fact, at that age, when I, I said, Is this true? And I began to read every single book I could get my hands on on Daniel and Revelation. I read Uriah Smith's book, Daniel and Revelation, from cover to cover. Roy Allen Anderson's book, Unfolding the Revelation, and on and on the list went. And I was filling my head with all kinds of prophecy, with all kinds of messages about the three angels' messages, and so on. But there was something else that happened to me. After the evangelistic meetings... On Friday evening, I was so impacted by the preaching of the word, I would go home, lie on the floor in my bedroom all by myself and listen to some Christian music. There was an artist back then by the name of B.J. Thomas. He'd gone through his own conversion experience and he sang two songs that made an incredible difference on me. The first one was, What a Difference You've Made in My Life. Oh, I could almost sing it to you right now. And the second song was, he's the hand on my shoulder guiding me each step of the way. And this is going to date me a little bit. Young people will laugh at this. I was listening to it on cassette. And I listened so much that I wore out the cassette and had to go back to the Christian bookstore and buy another copy. What a difference Jesus has made in my life. And so in my own experience, and I encourage it for everyone, we just don't want head knowledge. We also want a heart experience. We want to know the goodness and the glory of God, but we want to experience the grace of God in our own hearts and lives. We want to fall in love with Jesus every single day Every single Sabbath when you come to church, you've got to come not just to see friends, not just to be with one another, which is so important. But you've got to come to be in the presence of Jesus. And that's what this crowd was doing. Nearly three-fifths or more of the population of the Sea of Galilee, they were coming wanting to be in the presence of Jesus. And so it says, the disciples said to Jesus, it's it's late. We're in a remote place here out by the Sea of Galilee, send the crowds away and go to the villages and let them buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something. Now picture it if you were one of those 12 disciples. There's 15,000 people there. There's no food. And Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. All I can picture is that their eyes popped when they heard that. Their jaws dropped and their faith flopped because they had no idea on earth how they were going to possibly be able to feed all of these people. They said to Jesus, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. What are we going to do with that, Jesus? And some of you who are involved in the fellowship meals here in this church, you know the experience. You have a certain amount of food on the counters downstairs. You come and you count the number of people upstairs and you're saying, oh, maybe we need to get some more food from the food bank or we, we need some help here. Well, the disciples had absolutely no idea how to reach these people or to feed these people. And this is an important point. Because everywhere I've been going, I've been sharing this thought. The disciples did not know what to do. They did not have a plan. And I've come to share with you that as the new conference president of the Upper Columbia Conference, I do not know what to do. And I do not have a plan, but I know someone who does have a plan. And if we gather together, which is where we're leading here in the Upper Columbia Conference, I haven't even figured it out. All I know is that God has said to me in the month of September, you need to get as many people as possible praying throughout the entire Upper Columbia Conference to simply ask God to reveal his plan to us. And then on the weekend of October 7 and 8, we're going to gather stakeholders together at the conference office and we're going to ask God to reveal that plan for the Upper Columbia Conference for the next several years. That's where we're going. God knows how to reach people. God knows how to feed people. All we have to do is ask, and he will reveal his plan. And so Jesus said to the disciples when they said, we have here five loaves and two fish, he said, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, notice what it says next in red, and looking up to heaven. It's exactly what we just said. We don't have a plan, but there is someone who has a plan. And looking up to heaven, it says he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And at the beginning of this message, I shared with you that maybe there are folks here today or folks that you know who are going through a storm in your life. And I believe there are three secrets to surviving the storms of life that are found in this story about Jesus and what he was experiencing in a single day. If you're experiencing a storm in your life, the first thing that you need to remember to do is to look up to the God who cares. Because he really does care for you. Never doubt that God cares for you. If there's anyone who does, it is Jesus. It is God the Father and it is the Holy Spirit. God loves you more than anyone else could on planet earth. He really does care for you. So the first secret to surviving the storms of life is to look up to the God who cares because he really does care. And you know, when you and I go in an attempt to reach out to people in this world for the kingdom of God, do you know what people say? People say, I People don't care how much you know until they know how much you what? Care. How much you care. There are a lot of people walking the streets around this building today, tonight. And the number one question that they have is does anyone really care for me? There are a lot of young people in our churches in our schools, in our communities who are struggling with anxiety, depression, peer pressure, social media bullying and so on. And you just look and listen to the news and you'll hear that there are many, many who are taking their own lives because they cannot answer that question, does anyone really Really care about me? It's the number one question that people ask. Does God really care about me? The story continues in Matthew 14 and verse 20. It says, they all ate and were satisfied. And I don't know, it may be just me, but let's try this with you. Are you satisfied in your journey with Jesus? As you've gotten to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, friend, and coming King, are you satisfied in your relationship with Him? It says they all ate and were satisfied. I know we want to grow deeper in our walk with Him. We want to have a deeper, more fulfilling experience. But has Jesus ever let you down? Never. Never. He is a God who never fails. He is a God who can do the impossible. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we might ask or imagine. But the only question is, do you and I truly believe that? Can Jesus work a miracle in your life today just like he did 2,000 years ago? Do you believe he can? I heard one amen. Amen. Can Jesus work a miracle in your life today? Amen. Amen. He has the power to do anything. The only thing that limits him is whether you and I actually believe. The story continues. It says, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. I love it. To me, this is humorous. How many disciples were there? 12. How many baskets? of reminder and remainder 12. It was as if if God had a little personal testimony in a basket to give to every one of these disciples that they would begin to see who Jesus really is. And it says the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. But then it says next in verse 22, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and to go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Something happened here. If you want to find out, you can go to all four of the Gospels this afternoon and read the parallel passages. But essentially what happened was Jesus fed 15,000 or more people that day and the people got the wrong message. They focused on the miracle rather than the message that Jesus was trying to share. And they said, if he can feed all these people, what would he do with an army? And so they began to press against him. And even the disciples joined in this thinking. And they were going to lift Jesus up and make him king of the Jews. Because they wanted someone to defeat the Romans who were occupying their territory. But do you know something? Jesus did not come to defeat the Romans. Jesus came into this world to defeat sin and the consequences of sin. And ultimately the one who brought sin to the universe, Satan himself. And so it says Jesus dismissed the crowd and sent them away. And it says after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray and later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it whenever you're experiencing a storm in your life there are three secrets to surviving the storms of life number one look up to the God who cares because he really does care for you my friend and secondly we find in the example of Jesus Pray to the God who hears because he really does hear and answer every single prayer. Do you believe that? There are a lot of people inside churches who doubt the power of prayer. But we find that Jesus in Scripture believed in the power of prayer. He realized that no matter the chaos and confusion of earth's problems, you can find God's solution in prayer. And so he really does hear and answer every single prayer. And you may say, okay, Pastor Dave, yeah. He answers some prayers with yes. He answers some prayers with no. He answers some with later on, But he answers every single prayer. How many of you have a cell phone? Almost everyone, I guess. Do you believe in Verizon? Do you believe in AT&T? Do you believe in Sprint or some other company so that when you text on your texting device, your phone, that that text is actually received? When you call someone on your phone, do you believe that that call goes through? Well, think about it for a moment. If man can do that with Verizon and AT&T, AT&T and Sprint or any other company, what can God do? How big is your God? He developed the very first internet system. Wireless prayer. He did but have you wrapped your mind around it? If the telephone works and man did that, well, what can God do? He can do far more than any of that. So we should never doubt the power of prayer. But it's happening in our churches, isn't it? Wednesday night, how many actually go and pray? How many people actually kneel down to pray? How many pray three times a day like Daniel did? The number is decreasing more and more all the time, unfortunately. And the devil loves it. We're told in the spirit of prophecy, not in these exact words, but pretty close the devil doesn't care how many sermons we preach. He really doesn't care how much community service we do. But he trembles when people pray. Why? Why would we be told that? Why do you think he's attacking prayer meeting? Why do you think he's causing so much doubt About the power of prayer because that's where we find the power of God through his Holy Spirit to make a difference in our lives and in our world to bring about a solution to any problem we may be facing. So whenever you're going through a storm in your life, look up to the God who cares because he really does care. Secondly, pray to the God who hears because he really does hear and answer every single prayer. Well, it says next, as Jesus was on that mountain praying, he looked out and he saw the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee. And it says, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And... I'd like to have some fun with you for a moment. I'm from Newfoundland and in Newfoundland they speak their own dialect, especially on the island portion of the province. And I visited there when I pastored, i gone into homes, into a home I've never forgotten it in Red Harbor, Newfoundland, a community of maybe 300 people total. And I was there with uh, between eight and 12 fishermen and they were talking with me and asking me questions and I had no idea what they were saying. And so I'm, I'm in there, they're having a scoff, a meal together, and they're asking me questions and I'm going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No idea what they were saying because here's how they talked. If they were to describe this storm that the disciples were in, they'd say it this way. By the- <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Did you get it? Can you interpret it back? Should I put it in slow motion? By there's a tizzard blowing from the north. Did you get it now? Somewhat. They call a blizzard a tizzard. And they said, if you're out there on the sea and it's storming, there's a tizzard blowing from the north. And so these disciples were out there On the Sea of Galilee, in the midst of this storm, they were terrified. They were afraid that their boat was going to sink. And in the next few verses, it shows that they became even more terrified because it says that in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, They were troubled saying, it's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. And now we come to another point. I've been challenging you today. This verse says that Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. He came to them in the darkest part of the night. He came to them in the deepest part of the Sea of Galilee out in the middle, which scholars say might have been 157 feet deep. He came to them walking on their greatest fears. He came to them just when they needed him most. Has Jesus ever come to you? just when you've needed it most. I was listening to a newscast a few years ago and it said, please tell those Christians that Jesus didn't walk on water. He didn't walk on water, he walked on ice. That's what they said on the news, I'm not exaggerating. But I, I was scratching my head, I said, then what were the disciples doing rowing on ice? That doesn't quite add up, does it? And a little bit later here in the story, we're going to find that Peter stepped out of the boat and he must have been heavier than Jesus because he fell through the ice. And we can chuckle at this, but it comes down to this thought. I am naive enough to believe the words of this book. This book says that Jesus walked on the sea, on water, coming towards them. And no matter what age you may be, from five years of age to 95 years of age, when we read this story, you have to decide in your own heart whether you actually believe the words of this book or not. And it will make all the difference in your life. Is it hard harder for Jesus to walk on the sea or to say to someone, rise, get up and walk? Is it harder to walk on the sea than to speak this entire universe or universes and galaxies into existence with his mouth? How big is your God today? Have you thought about that for a moment? What is he able to do in the Upper Columbia Conference, in the Linwood Seventh-day Adventist Church, if we really started calling out for him to show us how and when and where to reach lost men and women and boys and girls for the king? What kind of miracles could he do if we really believed? Do you believe? The words of this book, because the words of this book also says he can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we might ask or imagine. It says, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a spirit. And they cried out for fear, but straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not There's a lot of uncertainty in our world right now, isn't there? Whether we think about the tail end of the pandemic and and wondering what's next, or we think about this war in the Ukraine getting over. We, We would want it to have been over after day one, but when can it be over? And as we think about all of the uncertainty with inflation and everything, all the thoughts that go through our minds, Jesus not only spoke those words then he speaks them to you and me right now no matter what it is that you may be facing maybe no one else even knows anything about what's happening in your life this past week Jesus knows Jesus knows everything about you and me he knows our life story and journey and he says be of good cheer it is I be not afraid can you say amen to that this morning? Three secrets to surviving the storms of life look up to the God who cares because he really does care for you, my friend. Secondly, pray to the God who hears because he really does hear and answer every single prayer. And thirdly, be of good cheer, Jesus says. It is I, be not afraid. These are not just words on a page or a slide for me. I've experienced some storms in my life. February the 20th, 2019 was the worst day of my life. There are two that I'm weighing back and forth like this. Which was worse? The day I got a telephone call on a Friday afternoon at around 3.30 that my father had just dropped dead with a heart attack? Or was it the day February the 20th, 2019, that I had open heart surgery. In October of 2019, I got up out of bed right ready on a Sabbath morning to preach. Threw my legs out over the bed, getting up early to get the final thoughts of my sermon ready. And when I got out of bed, instead of walking this way, my body went this way and crashed into the wall. And I was white as a sheet. And I said, Shandra, something's wrong. I can't walk straight. All I did was get up out of bed. I wondered if maybe i have gotten up too quickly, but it wasn't that. In the month of November, December, they had me in for an angiogram. I went in for an angiogram, and the nurse that met me there and uh, was doing the paperwork said, nothing wrong with you, you shouldn't even be, why are you even here? Look at you, there's nothing wrong with you. I said, thumbs up just what I wanted to hear they did the angiogram the technician when they're shooting the die through you is a little quiet after the angiogram I'm out in the waiting room and the technician comes in a nurse with him and they said Mr. Jameson got some bad news for you you have six blockages four of them at 50% and two of them at 80%. You're a walking time bomb. You need open heart surgery. And do you know what happened to me? Do you know what happened when this storm hit me unexpectedly? I almost had a heart attack on the table. And I'm not exaggerating. My wife is here. She'll verify. The nurses quickly ran and got the blood pressure cup. They got some needles out. They got some medication because the monitor was going beep, 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 beep. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Six blockages, open heart surgery. Whoa, wait a minute. How can this be? Well, between December and February... I did what most people wouldn't do. I began to look at every YouTube video on open heart surgery that I could find on the internet. There's not a lot, by the way, but there's, I found six, seven, eight, and I looked at every single video on open heart surgery because I wanted to see what they were going to do to me. They say this is one of, if not the biggest surgery that you could have. You're disconnected. Your heart is being operating by way of a machine. So I watched every single video I could. And in my watching of the videos and in my research, I began to realize that I could have the surgery done differently. Because as a pastor for 35 plus years, I visited many people in the hospital who had open heart surgery. And I watched They were cut here, cut here, and maybe cut all the way up here to pull veins out to do the bypass. But I discovered they don't have to do it that way. I discovered that they can cut you here, open you up for four and a half hours, and they can cut here and here and take arteries out of your chest instead of veins out of your legs and arms. And I said, that's it. Lord, you get me through this surgery that way where I'm only caught here and here and I'll be the happiest camper on planet Earth. And I have kept that promise to the Lord. And so anyone who knows me at all, I, they, they say, Dave, how are you doing today? And I say, fantastic. Fantastic no matter what. And I have kept that promise ever since. I'm only human, and so I managed to keep it around 355 days out of the 365 days a year. And the other 10 days, I'm just like you. I'm <laughs> all the stuff that happens. But I learned through those two experiences, the loss unexpectedly of my dead, this journey of going through this whole experience, to look up to the God who cares, because he really does care for you and me. He does. That's the kind of God that I serve. My Bible says God is love. And then we need to pray to the God who hears knowing that just as certain as the Verizon text goes through, your prayer goes through and you never get a busy signal. And thirdly, no matter what, be of good cheer, Jesus says, it is I, be not afraid. I have to add this. You may wonder how on earth I could have six blockages. In my research, I also discovered I went to a lifestyle medicine doctor. He said, we need to check you for LPA, lipoprotein, small a in brackets. He said, you maybe have too much LPA in your body. LPA is a type of cholesterol, the stickiest of sticky cholesterol. And in Canada, when they measured me, the unit is supposed to come back below 300. And mine came back at nearly 1,200. He said, we nailed it down. Your body is producing too much cholesterol. That's the only explanation. Because, you know, I was walking with my wife and exercising and eating fairly healthfully. vegetarian. Vegan, heading that direction all the time. But this LPA thing, it's a hereditary problem. Maybe the reason why my dad was gone like that. And so I fully expect that I will have this all over again. But hopefully it'll be in another 50 years. And the Lord will come. But no matter what, Jesus says, be of good cheer. It is I. I am with you. Be not afraid. Don't be afraid of anything. God is with you. What did Jesus do during the storm? Jesus came to them. When you're in the midst of a storm this next week, Remember, Jesus comes to you. Jesus came to them personally. Jesus came to them in their darkest hour. Jesus came to them just when they needed him most. Jesus came to them walking victoriously over their greatest fears. If you know Jesus, you do not have to be afraid. Because even the darkest hours of the night cannot hide you from the face of God, my friend. It doesn't matter how dark and stormy it gets, how the thunder rolls and it looks black and there's lightning flashing. It does not matter. These things cannot hide us from the face of God. In the darkest hour of life, God is still God. Can you say amen to that? He is still God in the darkest hour of the night. And he is still in Control. He holds the whole world in his hands. And you can imagine that when he's holding it, he, there are tears coming down his cheeks as he watches what's happening on this planet today. He longs to come and gather us up and to take us home. And I believe that Jesus is coming again very, very soon. But we have to be careful that we're not like the disciples of old. Because the disciples of old, unfortunately, their attention was on the storm instead of the Savior. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the Savior. Wrapping it up. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, come. One word. Jesus spoke that word come before. He said, Lazarus, come forth. He said, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. And now he's saying, Peter, come on out on the water. And what does he say to you and me? Matthew eleven, twenty-eight, Come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon me for my burden is light, and you will find rest to your souls. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, when he took his eyes off Jesus, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Have you ever cried out that prayer? If you did, never did a soul cry for help to be saved, to be rescued, and it went unheard. Jesus hears our every cry. He hears our every prayer. Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he began to focus on the circumstances around him, a move that will cause you to start sinking every single time. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18 says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It says, when Peter was sinking in the depths of the sea, it says, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying of the truth, thou art the son of God. I like to compare the sh- church to a ship. Scripture and the spirit of prophecy does the same thing. We're told that the ship is going to sail safely to the heavenly harbor and to stay on board the ship. I believe that if every single church in the Upper Columbia Conference would lift Jesus Christ high, every single Sabbath that there would be more and more people drawn and the ship will be so full just before it sets sail to the heavenly harbor that there'll be people clinging on all over the place on the mast, on the gunwales, all over and we'll be afraid that the ship is going to sink, afraid that the ship is not going to make it through. But Jesus is the captain of the ship. And if we know of the truth that he is the son of the living God, not the dead God, the living God. Then we'll be able to sail through the storms of life now and the storms that are yet to come. And we will see Jesus, our Savior, on the other side. But until then, my heart can sing when I pause to remember. Our heartache here is but a stepping stone along a path that's winding upward. This troubled world is not my final home. But until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on. Until that day, my eyes behold my Savior, Until that day, God calls me.